Hey y'all, it's time for another episode of Rolling Dice and Taking Names. Today the guys have reviews of Luna Capital, a clever tile-laying game, and two games the guys have been waiting months for, Origins, First Builders, and Pandemic World of Warcraft, Wrath of the Lich King, and a preview of a game the guys love coming on Kickstarter soon, a co-op deduction game, Paint the Roses. Welcome to another episode of Rolling Dice and Taking Names. This is episode 239, Every Rose Has Its Thorn. My name is Marty. I'm Tony. So this is one of those where I know the reason of this song, and uh, you'll just have to listen all the way to the end, everyone, because in the outro, the title of this episode will be explained in full. And there could be hidden meanings. Every time I hear that song, I always think of uh, Bill and Ted's second movie. I can't ever think more than the second one's called, but uh, where they're quoting the movie. You never saw the second one? No. Get used to it. I've never seen Seinfeld. I've never seen the second movies of a bunch of 80s movies. Why, why stop? Uh, well, okay. I, I disagree with that. I saw all the diehards. I, I, I'll admit I did do that. So, okay. You made a statement that, um, you know, you welcomed everybody back after the marathon episode. I hope they're here. I know. That was, uh, like I said, our biggest episode ever with the amount of games that we crammed into it. This one's going to be a little bit lighter on the games, but the games we are excited to talk about, especially one uh, in particular that we'll get to later. Which I think you've already talked about saying that we're going to talk about later. No. Oh, it's a different one we're going to talk about that we're excited to talk about. So we're excited to talk about all the games we're going to be talking about tonight. I guess if we weren't excited to talk about them, they wouldn't even be on the show notes. This is true, because I mean, why waste our time and our listeners' time talking about games that we're not excited about? Why drive the hype engine and and then just send it straight into the ground? I, I don't you know understand that, that. You know, there's a whole big discussion on that, Tony, about why do some reviewers never have lots of negative reviews and a lot of people say, and this is true, that if you're going to spend time digging into a game and talking about it and playing it, and it's something you just don't like, why spend effort doing it? And I understand the two sides of the coin here, Tony. One is, you know, if we're not excited about it and it's not that great, why even bring it up? Instead, let's talk about something we are excited about. But then the other side of the coin is, well... As consumers, we would like to hear stuff that maybe we should be weary of or reasons why you didn't like it so we can make a decision on our own. For those who are listening to us know that I get grumpy and therefore they should know and can tell when I'm not excited about a game. So for us, that's not really true. Mm -hmm. You're giving me your time. I don't want to waste and spend five minutes of our five minute initiative or 10 minutes talking about a game and say, by the way, y'all don't go pick it up. It sucks. I, it's just not worth it. Right. And and to be fair, there's not that many games that I think we've played that said, this sucks, don't go pick it up. We always try to approach games as like, here's why I liked it, here's why I didn't like it, and same goes to you. And then we leave the final decision up to the listeners, right? Mm -hmm. Because reviews are subjective. I can only tell you why I like and dislike a game, but the person listening to it may like a game for reasons that I didn't like it. Right. Matter of fact, there is one on our list that you said, well, why don't you and Donna play and you can talk about it. And it's not that I dislike the game. It just wasn't my type of game because of the amount of this type of game. There's a ton of them out there. So it may not be one that gels with me. Gotcha. So we are very conscious of people's time as they listen to the show. We want to make sure we utilize it well with, you know, very interesting topics like, uh, you know, lawn care. But by the way, Tony, it is uh, the fall season, so mm -hmm. people should mm -hmm. be preparing to seed and aerate their lawn. 
That's right. Now be sure now, be very, very careful here. Do not, you're like, oh, I got weeds. And you go out there and you pick up a bag of weed killer and you don't read and it says pre-emergent on it. If you mm. buy that now, you are going to be in trouble when it comes to time for your new grass to grow. Why is that? Because pre-emergent, it keeps it from emerging. I think it's in the title. So if you put that down, <laughs> guess what's going to happen? Those seeds are not going to germinate. So all that time you wasted in pulling the plugs, watering the lawn, watering and buying the seed and the fertilizer. And if you've put any pre-emergent down within, I think it's 90 days of mm -hmm. seeding, it's not going to work. Don't be mad at the grass seeds you bought. Be mad at the person who put down the pre-emergent. That's who you need to jump all over. Also, too, if you lime your yard, you got to give it time for that lime to get worked into. You don't want to seed your yard right after you put down lime because it'll burn it up. See, and I think that's what I used to do wrong all the time. I would lime the yard, aerate the yard, and then immediately come back with seed. That's bad. Yeah. Yeah. In fact, I lined mine about a month ago. So by the time um, I'm seeding, uh, it should be good and settled to the ground. So see, we're not wasting people's time with bad games, Tony. We're wasting people's time with lawn care tips. But everybody loves a good looking lawn. They do. They do. And for those who don't have lawns, they really don't care. So we're going to move on to something else. Oh. Sometimes we like to waste times with soft drink taste test. However, for the first time in a few episodes, we don't have one to taste test this time. We do, but I got a feeling it got drunk again by somebody in your house. You had a Mountain Dew Baja, not Baja, um, Punch Blast. Do you still have it? Yes, I have it. Let me go check. A few moments later. I do have it, Tony. It was in the fridge, ready to go. Nobody has uh, opened it and consumed it yet, probably because this is not diet. And so <laughs> neither Vanessa and I be, would be drinking this. And I probably won't drink this whole thing. But it, this is a Mountain Dew Baja Punch. That's right. Now we have done the Baja Flash, which was the pineapple coconut. What is that one? Punch. Let's. Let, I'm going to take a flyer here. I got a feeling it's going to be a tropical punch flavor. It is. It is okay. a tropical punch flavor. So uh, shall we break the seal? Shall we? Yes, we shall. All right. All right. Kind here we go. A, it's fruity. It's fruity. <laughs> that, that's <laughs> tropical punch. All right. Here we go. Uh, it's fruit punch. Okay. So do you like fruit punch? Yeah, I do. I, as a matter of fact, of, of my Gatorade flavors, I enjoy the, the grape flavor and the fruit punch. I'm not a big lime fan. I like fruit punch also. So I like this. Like one mm -hmm. of my favorite Kool-Aid flavors is uh, like tropical punch. Gotcha. Um, this is good. Yeah. Hawaiian punch, tropical punch. It's mm. all there. Mm -hmm. So. So yes, I enjoyed that one. Ooh. Now, which did I like more? And you probably don't remember the flash. The pineapple. Yeah, the yeah. pineapple. The pineapple still had that pina colada taste for me, yeah. which I really enjoyed. But the Baja punch went down smoother for me. Gotcha. Gotcha. So, okay, well. Both of these are good. Yep. 170 calories, man. I'm watching you. Uh, no, I'm, put, sure. I'm putting it down because in my uh, Rolling Dice and Taking Names mason jar, which you can still get over at poppledge.com, uh, has a Pepsi Zero Sugar in it. All right. Well, there you go. Now, I do want to go ahead. A lot of people have been exercising or tell us that, okay, one person said that he keeps exercising until he hears the first game and then he stops when he's listening to the show. <laughs> so I'm so, going Hold on, hold on. So wait a minute. Let's, let's say this right. So one person who listens to the show has told us that when the show starts, they, they begin exercising. 
and they don't stop their routine or whatever until we talk about a game. Wouldn't it be nice of us to help him achieve his goals and become more healthy by not talking about a game for a while? Okay, I'll do that. I'll hold off on this. You tell me something interesting. What was something interesting that happened to you recently? Well, it's not not something interesting to me, but we talked about thanking people for their time they give to us for the show. Mm -hmm. Well, we also like to thank people for the uh, the money that they have used to maybe talk buy some products that uh, we've talked about on the show. We've got two big discounts going on right now. One is over at SirMeeple.com. He has designed us some special RDTNT. Wow, RDT. R, what is our what is our acronym again? RDTN T-shirts. So I can't get our website right with a whole bunch of words yeah. or our mailing address, and you're stumbling on four letters. Okay, it's the t-shirt I'm fair. that's throwing it's fair. me off. RDTN t-shirts. Okay. Uh, you can use the code RDTN and get 20% off any of our t-shirts. So if any of those uh, interest you, and I have my white noise t-shirt. Uh, you've got the squirrel t-shirt. I'm actually going to order the um, the one that looks like an interstate sign, mm-hmm. and it has a South you know, RDTN so kind of a nod to us being from the South. I really like that one. So I may pick that one up again, using the code RDTN and getting 20% off. Well, before you order it, check with me because uh, Rebecca does want one of the don't make me squirrel shirts. So I've got to yes. order her one. Okay. So we're going to get that. And then when we were, Rebecca needed a new cell phone. Rebecca is my daughter. And so we went into Verizon and as I was walking in, I was wearing my don't make me squirrel shirt. Right. And the guy stopped me at the door. And he goes, where did you get that? And I go, okay, it's our it's podcast. Story. It's a story. <laughs> Basically, you can go to sirmaple.com. It's our podcast. It's something I've said on the show. He goes, man, my nickname is Squirrel. I got to get me that shirt. I said, all right, sirmaple.com. Go for it. I hope you um, can find one that you like in the color because there are a lot of colors that you can pick from. I've been wearing mine around. I really like the fabric of this. Yes, I know we're selling it, but I'm telling you like it is. I enjoy the fabric of these shirts. They're not that slick, you know, that polyester, quick wick dry stuff, mm-hmm. nor is it the hot cotton or oh, cotton's not hot, but you know what I mean. The heavy, heavy shirts. Cotton. Like the mm-hmm. shirt I'm wearing now is kind of heavy. Those breathe and they feel really nice. He picked really good quality shirts to sell from his site. That's right. Now I will... Uh, Truth be told, we do get a small percentage back on this. So the 20% is a great discount for for the shirts. So that's great. I uh, hope you, people take advantage of it. But if you want a bigger discount, mm. 30% over at eWin, which no kickbacks here. It's just for our listeners. If you want an eWin chair or desk, 30% off. A bunch of listeners have picked up some chairs recently, even picked up a desk like Marty has. Great discount. I mean, they ran a 20% off over Labor Day. Couldn't beat our 30%. So it's very important for our listeners. If you're going out, if you're, oh, I don't know, maybe getting uh, a dorm room set up for one of your children, or maybe just um, really finally outfitting your home office. Because a lot of companies are now saying, hey, I tell you what, after 18 months here in the U.S., I think we can manage you working at home. A great opportunity for you. And everybody that's bought the chairs have really loved them. They come onto our Discord channel and they talk about them and stuff and they all appreciate them. There's people in our channel that has bought multiple chairs uh, because they liked them so much. So I haven't found anybody yet that said, man, I I wasted money on this. And they all tend to last a while. I've had mine for a year. There's no sign of wear and tear on it. And I sit in it every day. Right. And I same here. And I've 
been in it pretty much working from home. Now, one of my favorite things is somebody goes, why'd they send me white gloves? Do we know the answer to that? To protect your hands. I mean, keep them from getting dirty. Come I, on. I guess. Uh, yeah. So there's white gloves in the chair box that you use to put the together, but you don't really need the white gloves. If you don't want to get the slick oil lubrication stuff on your hands, maybe you don't. You don't want. Oh. Also, you don't want to pinch your gloves. You're supposed to be wearing gloves to protect your hands from damage. Maybe some uh, sharp edges or something from cuts. Who knows? But I've never had any issues with cuts or problems with my chair. So, but that's very nice of them. And to also include utility tools to help you put it together. And I will admit they do have something on Ikea for instructions because they are a bit lacking. So go watch the video on how to put a chair together. Right now the desk does not come with gloves. I don't know why, but it does not. How about a hard hat? (laughs) No hard hat either. But, uh, but no, the, the desk is also easy to put together. It comes with the Allen wrenches that you need. Uh, in order to put together. So you don't really need any tools. It comes with everything included in the kit. So between all the Allen wrenches I have for shelves, the chair, I mean, just things over time, I think I have the same Allen wrench at least 10 times, you know, in my tool chest. I'm like, if I lose one, I've lost them all because they're all together. Right. But I can never find them when I need them. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, just so you'll know, uh, with the E-Win Racing, and by the way, you can get this E-Win, E-W-I-N Racing.com. Again, the code is RDTN, get 30% off. We do not get anything from this. Just want to let you know that when you order something, we don't make any money off this whatsoever. We did get uh, the products uh, to be able to talk about, to ask us if we would want to talk about the products, and we really enjoyed them. So just let that be known that for all those who've bought chairs, we're not pocketing anything from this. Uh, we do like these, and everybody that's bought them enjoys them too. Right. I mean, I'm, my honey's got to be in this chair if you want me to talk about it. Plain and simple. That's the way it goes. But 30% off, cannot beat that discount. And I am really lost. I'm not even going to try to transition this. Taz and Amiibos. Taz is your dog. Uh, yes. So the other day we come home. All right. That's good to know. You're coming home. Okay. Uh, t- yeah. So a typical day, we just walk into the house. And Taz always greets us as normal. He's at the door waiting for us to come in. And uh, and so I look into the living room and I see an Amiibo box sitting on the floor. And I'm going, oh my gosh. He got into my room. I'm in the process of uh, fixing up and, and reorganizing the room. So I had some of the Amiibos out so he could grab them. He could easily grab them. So I picked it up. It, is, it was my 8-bit Mario Amiibo. And I thought, okay, he, he kind of messed up a corner, but that, that's fine. So I go to put it away and look down, and there's another Amiibo box. This one, the back of the box has been ripped open. Hmm. It is one of my dual pack Amiibos. It is my Amiibo pack that came from Samus Returns, which includes a Samus and a Metroid. He didn't mess with the Amiibos. They're fine, but the box is now open and obviously no longer mint. And I said, this better not be worth a lot of money. So I immediately go to eBay and do a search. Those two Amiibos go together on average when sold and new in box, $175. So my dog cost me basically $175 because he decided to go in my room, which he hardly ever does, pick up that box and rip the box open. So I'm going to come to Taz's defense here because Taz is sweet, kind, love the dog. From the standpoint of a cost you $175, would you have sold them? No, but this is one of those things that my boys really get into, and I would eventually given it off to them, and it would have only gone up in value. 
It's only worth the value when it changes from your hand to someone else's. God, all I wanted was a little sympathy and you're not doing it. <laughs> I'm not going to give you sympathy for this. <laughs> I mean, this is, uh, why, why give you, I'm protecting the dog. The dog is just doing what a dog does. I, I, I know, I did not scold the dog getting upset. I know him, you did. He's a dog. I did not get upset at the dog. I was upset that he did it, but I did not scold the dog or hurt the dog in any way whatsoever. And now I make sure the door is closed to the office so he can't get in there and get it now. But still, I had, well, number one, I had no clue those things were worth that much. I bought them. You bought them new, like $35, $40. And it's one of those things that I've just, I mean, if you ever seen our, our show or some of the videos that we do, you'll see the Amiibos kind of spread around on the shelves behind me. That was one of them because I just thought they looked cool. I had no idea they were worth that much. See, for me, I open mine so I can scan them. That's the whole purpose of them, isn't it? All it right. Is- by the way, if anybody if anybody has the two amiibos is coming out for Metroid Dread that sold out immediately, I'm I'm in the market to buy. So just hit me up over at rolldicetakenames at gmail.com. If you want to do some trades for games or something like that, I would appreciate it because big thanks to Vinny over on our Discord channel where I have been in the market, Tony, for Metroid Fusion and Metroid Zero Mission for the Game Boy Advance. These games are going for 70, 80 bucks a piece. And I was like, man, I, I really want this. So I just, on a hunch, I'm, I put it out there. I said, does anybody have these games and would be willing to trade board games for these video games? Vinny came through and said, yeah, what you got? So I showed him some games I was interested in trading. And he said, sure, I'll take this one, this one, and this one. And I made sure the trade favored him. So he ended up getting more games. I sent him, he said, I would like the three of these five. I just sent him all five. And he sent me those games, and they are in an immaculate condition. So, Vinny, thank you so much for completing my quest for Metroid Fusion and Metroid Zero Mission. Now, So now if anybody has those two new uh, Amiibos that are coming out from Metroid Dread, hit me up. Okay. Selling out that quickly, it kind of frustrates me that I don't get a shot at it if I'm not paying attention. And that just sucks. So y'all keep them. I don't need them. Dude, you're preaching to the choir. The entire internet was ticked off that day because people were buying them to obviously to flip them, right? They're scalping these things. And people like me, it's just, I I want them. You can't get them. And they have not come back in stock since then. I got lucky and at least got the Metroid Dread Special Edition uh, box. I did luck out and get that from GameStop. And that hasn't been back in since then either. It's a good thing I don't like Metroid. Mm Mm-hmm. Because I can see where I'd be in the same situation, you know, where I'd be like, I want this, I don't, and I'm nope, not going to even worry about it. Well, Vinny, thank you for making Marty happy. That's he made, he made me very happy. That's good to hear. Now, what doesn't make me happy, and we're going into the video game world, is one of our favorite games for the Game Boy, Advance Wars. Yeah. You got to be kidding me on that price. Explain to me that price of, what is it, $60? Well, it's, it's two games. And they're remastered. I don't care. What'd you do? Get out a new crayon? Well, have you seen the videos for them? Because they have a totally different look and feel now. Why? I like the original look and feel. I get you, man. I I understand. But it was kind of like what they did with um, Zelda. 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 I cannot talk tonight, man. Well, we need to finish this up. Thanks for coming and seeing. (laughs) Keep rolling dice. Uh, Link's Awakening, where it's the same game, it gave it a whole visual overhaul. They charge 60 bucks for that. So they're doing the same thing here. Now, I get that. If they would have just taken the exact same game and just said, here's the Game Boy Advance versions on one cart charging 60 bucks, I'd be upset. 
but they're getting a nice treatment to them and everything, and you're getting the two games for 60. I, I see your frustration. I'm still plopping down 60 bucks because I will buy them. Okay, you don't remaster them. You stick them on one cart, give it to me for 40. There you go. Yeah. I know, I know, I understand, but I, no, I don't. I don't under, why do I need things remastered? Why do I need things in 4K? My eyes don't see in 4K. Well, it's uh, not 4K, but yeah, whatever. You, you know mean. what I mean. No, I don't. Uh, well, uh, well you okay. said 4K. I, I assume you meant 4K. When you're watching a movie, oh, now it's up to 4K remastered, da 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 I, Please. I, I'll admit, I was on that hype train back with Lord of the Rings where they would attach 30 extra seconds, and I and I bought into that whole Blu-ray mega collection Lord of the Rings thing, and I'm like, why? Why did I do this? You know what? We do need to end this because, man, I am getting grumpy. <laughs> well, hold on. Has he had enough time to exercise? you think we should let him off the hook at this point? Yeah, I think he needs a break. I think he needs to go get some water. So, all right. All right. So, with that, you handed over to me at game night a um, new roll and write, Lost Cities. Lost Cities, uh, a lot of people know it from the card game, a two-player card game. From Rhino Knizian and Cosmos, right? That's absolutely right. Thank you for plugging that. So, I br- brought it out. Don and I sat down. We learned to play it. I had to talk to her, you know, the various things about it. And there's a ton of roll and writes. She loves Dizzle. She loves um, Not Mall. She loves the reimplementation of uh, Bedazzled, I think it is, from, mm-hmm. from Stronghold. She, oh, that's one of her favorites. So I'm like, okay, she loves her. Um, we have all three of the um, Ganshan Clevers, uh, whatever the German pronunciation is. We have all that. So I go, here's a new Rolling Right. I want you to give it a try. I ordered um, Three Sisters. I have Fleet the Dice Game. I have all that. So I'm like, okay, let's try this one. Have you ever played Lost Cities? I have. I, I like the card game. See, I should have known better because she didn't like the card game. Uh-oh. And the dice rolling part of that is similar in that you're having to build an ascending adventure. Mm-hmm. And yes. so she's, so, but you, when you roll the dice, you pick one of the adventures to go on. And there are, I believe there are six of them and there's colors and shapes to help you out if you can't see the colors. And then you pick a number and that can start your adventure. We're going on an adventure. That's right. And as you progress through your adventure, just like in the card game, you're going to get more points the farther you go in your adventure. And as you progress up the adventure, you may discover some relics. Okay, it's another little symbol that you mark off on another path, and the more relics you discover, the higher the point value. So if you start out on an adventure, and the first three spots because they have to be in ascending order. So you pick the die and you go, okay, that's what we're going to be. I picked the one. The next one can be anywhere from one to 10 based on the die roll. That's great. But if you roll a zero and you start an adventure, then you can double your points. So you start out with a zero. And in the card game, there was also that penalty. If you start out with a zero, that you're going to have some penalties to that. Mm -hmm. So the same thing happens. It's going to double your points. But if you never get past the first three blocks, you're either going to get... Instead of negative 50, you'll get negative 100. Okay. And it, and it goes on up. So once you get past, as you're the father, you go on the adventure, the better off you are. So I'm looking and I'm watching her and she's like, okay, I'm understanding this. I understand some of the strategy, but if suddenly you roll all six dice and three are color and three are numbers and they come up with a nine, nine and an eight, that's going to kill one of your adventures. Well, you don't have to take the roll. You can say, I'm not going to take that, and you just mark off another spot. We're not going to take it. And when you do that, as you go up the track, that's the end game me- one of the in-game mechanisms. And if both players get to the exhausted portion, the game ends. Mm-hmm. 
or if a player crosses all the eight bridges, the game ends. So she didn't like the fact that now if I'm exhausted after hearing all this, I'm pretty exhausted. Uh, bite me. <laughs> She's sitting there going, okay, so if I'm exhausted, do you think I still get to roll the dice? I've, I've used up all my passes. Do I get to still use the, you roll the dice and even take dice from her? I would say no. Cause you've used up. No, all your you, okay. you can. Okay. That really didn't set well with her. Okay. Because if you become exhausted, that's zero points. But if you don't get exhausted, then you can get up to whatever it was. All right. Hold on. Is anybody else listening to this following this? Bite me. Well, I'm, I'm just asking a question. What I'm telling you is for this <laughs> roll and write. I could, <laughs> yes. Okay. I can do it like a normal five minute initiative where I can do it in one minute. I was going to give you the Marty full explanation of rules. If you want the McCree, you want the McCree version of this? Here it is. You ready for the McCree version? Go for it. Go for it. Roll the dice, mark the pad, score victory points. That's it. Bam. Let me ask you a couple questions. No, I'm done with this. Hey, I'm a consumer. I'm coming to you. I like Lost Cities. Tony, if I like Lost Cities, will I like Lost Cities the dice game? Only if you like rolling rights. Okay. So, but it's familiar enough to where I say, oh, I see where this is a dice version of the card game. Yes. Okay. If you want, hey, maybe this is how we should do reviews. Well, no, I, I mean, I'm just coming in asking because people love the card game like uh, Lost Cities. And they would want to know, is it close enough to the card game to where when I play it, it feels familiar, except it's a rolling right. It does. It, it feels familiar. There's a lot of um, angst as you're rolling the dice. But I think from the strategy standpoint, people may be put off by the randomness of the dice. Where okay. that one dice roll gets out there and suddenly you can't use it and you have to pass. And some people like my wife didn't like the fact that I've passed all 10 times or whatever the number was. And yet I still got to play. Gotcha. She was not used to that fact. Okay. Okay. All right. All right. Yes, it was long. I apologized. No, 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 that's good. I, I, hopefully that uh, helps somebody uh, know if they want to get Lost Cities Rollin' Ride from Cosmos Games. Well, maybe they needed a longer water break. Maybe they need to go, you know, they were exercising, they need to run to the restroom. So we gave them that opportunity. Mm -hmm. Okay. All right. So, so let me ask you this. Uh, you're always presenting games to your friends and stuff. So you're saying the the Lost Cities Rollin' Ride may not gone over well with Donna. Is there anything else that you brought out to the family or friends that they liked? Yes. We talked about a game recently called Dimension on this show that you really enjoyed. Loved loved that game. In fact, Cosmos listened to our segment and came back and said, I'm really glad you guys like that. And I went, yeah, no, this is one of those things that was a total surprise at how much I, I would like it. So tell me, what did your uh, family and friends think of it? All right. So Donna and Rebe Rebecca loved it. Rebecca wants it so much that she wants to do it just solo to see if she can beat it. And by the way, for those who uh, want some more details, go back and listen to our previous episode and you can get some highlights of how the game plays and everything. And Tony rule explanation, stack balls to meet goals to score victory points. Wow. Okay. Never mind. You don't have to go back and listen to it. That's pretty much it. That's it. She was really enjoying it. She loves that relationship of, of the trying to figure those things out. Mm -hmm. And when we first started playing and I said, okay, this is a one minute timer. And Donna looks at me and says, no, it's not. And I go, what do you mean? She goes, it's not going to be a timer. You're going to give me more time. I went, I understand. <laughs> <laughs> but 
that's the that's the beauty of the game is the timer. Well, she goes, why don't we start out so I can understand, you know, the concept here. Sure. And, and two minutes. So I put a two minute timer on the old iPad thing so it can make some noise. So like you don't have to watch it, which is, I highly recommend that you get that. And so we were playing it and this is not a game where you can multitask. You can't bring out the switch or anything like that. Cause Donna was trying to multitask. I'm like, you cannot do this with this game. Mm-hmm. Friends came over and I said, all right, you're, you're a teacher. You enjoy these types of games. I put it on there. So the timer went to three minutes, but as we played, it got shorter and shorter and shorter. Sure. Yeah. Cause, cause you can read those, uh, the objective cards a lot quicker to understand it, what they mean. Yeah, exactly. Or, pause and explain them all so that people because the hardest thing everybody kept doing and this was both rebecca and my friends they kept saying the ones where this color cannot be on top of anything or no color can be on top of this this other color like you may not have a a purple ball cannot have any of the other colors on top of it including purple yep they kept saying this ball has to be on the bottom i'm like no this ball has to be on top no <laughs> <laughs> it you just have to make sure wherever it is there's nothing on top of it regardless of what level it is and then my favorite thing is somebody took it and said you know greens cannot be touching okay yes well when they built the top layer you know how you can put three balls on the uh second layer second layer there yeah. he put it so that the two balls were not touching but he didn't have a third ball because of how they stack so they were not touching Okay. And Donna's arguing. I'm like, sweetie, they're not touching. Look how he, he spaced them. He put them in that pyramid so that they were apart. Rule lawyers are coming out here, people. Let's just play the game and have some fun. Okay. <laughs> but yes, thank you for letting me um, take it home and try it out. Like I said, big hit. If you haven't had an opportunity, Barnes and Noble, Cosmos, Dimension. Um, and every time I would say it, they said, oh, you mean like I got dementia? I said, no, stop, people. Great game. Fun game. It is. But one final thing, Marty and I got to participate in a Codenames live event with Tim, R-I-E-L, I want to say Ryle here, but Tim hosted us. Me and Marty were a team. We went up against a bunch of other people. And needless to say, we showed our typical selves while we were playing. So Tim showed our typical selves. What does that mean? We were misbehaving. (laughs) But we ended up winning. Did we? Yeah. Okay. I, can, I can't remember. We had a blast. Either oh, yeah, way. That was so much fun. Tim, thank you so much for having us on the show. That was a lot of fun. He has a, a Twitch channel, and we'll put it in the show notes uh, so you can go in and check it out because he's playing games with guests every week. He runs it like a regular game show. It's not about the game. It's about the people there to have fun and the people that are interacting and everything. There's these codename speed rounds, which was just way too anxious for me where he had like seven seconds to come up with a clue uh, and uh, uh, I'd not do good at that at all. But uh, you and I, it was like best two out of three rounds. And I think you and I won the first and third round to actually take the thing, uh, which was really cool. My favorite part of this was how the crowd can help you answer. So in your own Twitch, you you can read the comments and they can help you out. Yep. And then come to find out one of his regular Watchers is someone who's trying to get you to guess the assassin. And if you don't know that up front, you may take this person's advice, but his whole job is to- Wait a minute, does he know who the assassin is? No, but he's just trying to lead you astray. 
Oh, he's okay, even okay. being on both teams. He's just trying to have fun with everybody. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. It, it was a lot of fun, but I, I will say, Tony, during our practice round, you gave one of the best clues that I've ever heard that only you and I would have gotten between two people, between anybody else on this planet. There's no way the clues that you gave anybody else would have got except me. Oh, it's that engineering background. What can well, we and say? Do you remember what the clue was? Was it, um, was it engineering four? Engineering four. Yes. It was engineering, engineering four. So I, I could not believe it. So I'm looking all over this board. And again, this was a practice round so that we didn't get to do this live. So one of them, university. Okay. Uh, Tony and I went to the same university for engineering. It's got to be one. Ding. I kept looking around. Now, I can't remember what. The other one was, yeah. I, no, books, I remember, books. Books. No, I remember, no, I remember that one and the final one, but it's the, it's the other one I don't remember. Books. It's like, okay, we bought tons of engineering books. It's got to be that. The third one, though, Tony, I can't remember. The, the fourth one is the one that was brilliant, but I can't remember what the third one was. There was a uh, pad. Was it pad? Okay. It yep. was pad. Okay. Pad, uh, the final two, amazing. Pad and green. And people are like, why pad and green? Because uh, when you went to uh, school at state, you were required to take all your tests and turn in all your homework on engineering paper. And you had to go to the bookstore to buy it. And it was green. So it was a pad of green graph paper that you had to turn in all your homework. Anytime you had to take a test. So Tony and I went through pads and pads of green paper and it was like, there's nobody else on this entire planet that would have come up with green and pad. It was, it was a brilliant clue. And, and they were together. But then when we went into the real round, there was a clue about album five oh, wow. or something. Wow. That was bad. Yeah. I thought I gave a perfect clue, album five. And you were struggling. I'm like, how is he struggling with round and turntable and or turn or rotate or something? It was... And center hole, something about a center hole. I'm like, what the heck? Because there's a hole in the center of an album. Oh. So anyway, we had a blast. Thank you, Tim, for including us. And we hope in the future that maybe Marty and I can be on and we can be on opposite teams where we can each bring a special guest. Now, who knows what what that guest would be, but I'm sure that would be me and him battling in the trash talking it would be non-stop. No one would get in a word edgewise. Speaking of entertaining shows, Tony, what season are you on the Great British Bake Off? Uh, we are finishing up season number six. So we're excited. We saw that announcement too. September 24th here in the U.S. on Netflix. The brand new season of the Great British Bake Off will be coming back. And Tony, this will be the first time you have a chance to experience it live if you can. So these only drop once a week, 10 weeks, and it becomes here in this household a tradition every, is it Thursday or Friday, whenever it drops, Vanessa and I sit down and watch the show. We love it. Cannot wait for the new season. Has the same judges, Brew and Paul Hollywood, along with the same two hosts or commentators uh, with Noel and Matt. So I cannot wait for the new season. So since I don't have Netflix and you still haven't given me your password, one of the things... <laughs> One of the things I need to know is if it's it's not like I lost it. I don't have to DVR it or anything. I've I don't I'm serious. I've never used Netflix other than the time when Netflix would send me a DVD. That was the last time I used Netflix. No, it's just a live streaming service. At any time you can go and just pull it up All and right. watch it. Yeah. All right. So I'll have to remember that. Yes, it, I'm excited for that. 
Yeah, it, it will be worth you picking up Netflix for two or three months and then canceling when you're done or something like that. That will definitely happen. I yeah. know that. Or, or, and just watch tons of other great shows that's on Netflix while you got it. You can, you can fill up three months easily during that time. All right, so I shall do that. Yep, and one final thing before we go, before we break into our commercial spots, is we want to let people know that over the next few episodes, over the next several months, we're going to have a couple additional ad spots from some other publishers and the reason why we're doing this is because they reached out to us and said, look, guys, Christmas is coming up. Can we run a couple ads on your show? Because we got some exciting games coming up and we want to let people know about these games because of all the logistics issues that are out there. We want to make sure that people order these or pre-order these as soon as possible because a lot of these are going to be great Christmas gifts or just games that you want like right now in hand. So you're going to want to order them like I said, as fast as possible, because uh, I told me you, you've probably been reading too that Christmas shopping, you need to start now because things are running out. Thank you so much for those companies that are running a couple of additional ad spots over the next few months. And as a listener, thank you for listening to those. And if you have interest in those games, go get them and let them know where you heard about it. Earlier this year, I got to tell everybody about the amazing deduction game from Haba called The Key. There's a couple of these out called The Key, Sabotage, and Lucky Llama Land, and the one that we covered, The Key, Murder at Oakdale Club. This is a game to where you have all these cards spread out on the table. They're all just jumbled up, and you grab these cards, and what they are is they're actual clues to a mystery that you're trying to solve. For example, at the murder at Oakdale Club, we were trying to solve who was the murderer? Where did it happen? What was the weapon they used? It was almost like you're playing a game of Clue. But everybody in real time are just grabbing cards and trying to deduce using typical like logic graphs and stuff on these little player boards that you have to determine the outcome of the case. And the first person to say, I think I've got it all, has a chance to take a key, an actual key, and a very clever mechanic of sticking the key into a piece of cardboard that has lots of holes on it. And, where, and you stick it to a particular number uh, on that and turn it around. And if some colors match based on the certain card type uh, or case that you're running, then you actually solve the case. If not, you keep on going. It is a super clever mechanic. Again, we covered it earlier in the episode if you want to go listen to it. Well, they have a brand new key coming out called theft at cliff rock villa and here's the theme of this one there's been a shocking string of robberies at cliff rock villa valuable works of art have been stolen the players start their investigations and combine clues about the perpetrators times of the crimes stolen items and escape plans they need to generate the right number code and that's what i was talking about the code as, as you put all these clues together each one creates a particular number a particular digit and four digits together will give you the key or code to see if you're right or not. So this one is all about there's been a theft that you're trying to solve. So there's three versions of these games. This is the brand new one. Again, it's called Theft at Cliff Rock Villa. It's only $29.99. Make sure to check the links in our show notes. We'll have a link directly to the Hava site. If you want to get this or any other of those great games in the series, the key.
Tony, you and I have a long history with a video game and a board game that we're getting ready to talk about that's actually a merge of the two. Back in 2004, did you go to the midnight release for the World of Warcraft MMO? Did we? Because you would have talked me into it because you talked yeah. me into StarCraft 2. I'm trying to think. Did we? Well, this would be way before StarCraft 2. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to think. Did we do that? I don't know if I was allowed out. <laughs> well, I know that I went to the midnight release of World of Warcraft and I bought the collector's edition. Okay. Uh, because I we just finished playing games like uh, Star Wars Galaxies. So it's like, okay, I know what MMO is. I loved Warcraft 3, so I wanted to try out uh, World of Warcraft. And I we played... We had a guild and everything. It was called the Horde House. H-O-R-D-E. Horde House. Mm -hmm. And we played, dang, a lot over, I don't know, eight, nine months. I, it wasn't a lot for WoW players, but for us, it seemed like a lot. Enjoyed it. Uh, but then, you know, once again, I don't know if Guild Wars came out. I can't keep them all straight. I mean, we played Star Wars Galaxy. We played uh, War Warcraft. We played Guild Wars. We played City of Heroes. And then there were a whole bunch of other ones that we did beta that never came out. So I can't keep them all straight, but yes, I remember playing Horde ha Horde, the Horde House, THH, and one of our first ones where we attempted to form a group. Now, we were not PvP players by, the, by any stretch of the imagination. No, no, we weren't. And just for uh, clarification for your timeline, Guild Wars came out the next year, which is why we stopped playing Warcraft because oh. we liked Guild Wars uh, better. Now, let's and it was free. And it was free. Well, I mean, it was no monthly fee. That's free to me. But yes, yeah, you play for the pay for the base game, and, for, and it's still free today. And Guild Wars Two is coming out of the expansion. But I'll talk about that next year. And then in two thousand eight, you and I were getting into board games, and a co op game came out that both of us really enjoyed. Pandemic. Yes, we do. And I've played it up until twenty nineteen. Yeah, pretty much 2019. Kept playing and kept playing it. Play it all the time. Legacy, everything. And you had a lot of the expansions. I think you played even more than I did. I think you probably have more expansions on your shelf than what I do. Yes, I have them all. Yep. So we so got in the lab. And, well, no, I take that back. There's the one I'm missing with the animals. But hmm. yes, I, I had in the lab all that. So enjoyed Pandemic. But over time, things lose favor. They came out with Legacy. Enjoyed that system mm -hmm. as well. But what could they do, Marty? To bring me back into the pandemic world. What is it? What do you think would entice me? How about a pandemic style game, but with a new theme and a theme that you might be really interested in, such as World of Warcraft, Wrath of the Lich King? <gasps> would they do that? <laughs> would they? They did. <laughs> this was teased earlier this year in the spring. And when Z-Man announced that they're going to be putting World of Warcraft with Pandemic, I got so excited. I could just picture how this was going to work. And it worked exactly the way I pictured. Each of you are playing as a certain type of hero from World of Warcraft. And there are Scourge that are coming all over the land of Azeroth, basically in the North End area. And you need to clean up the Scourge. So basically, you're replacing disease cubes with cute little minis of ghouls and abominations. And those are good-looking abominations, too. Yeah. Top-notch, good production, great artwork, the whole nine yards. I mean, they did not cut any corners when it comes to this. So very happy when you placed this on the table recently at one of our game nights that I was like, ooh, I'm being transported back into the world of Warcraft. And I was actually concerned because I was worried that, okay, this is just 
regular pandemic, but with a different theme. But I think that they did an amazing job. And the, even though this was uh, inspired by, this is based on Matt Leacock's game. The game design is by Alexander Ortloff, Justin Kimpanen, and Michael Sanfilippo. So it doesn't look like Matt Leacock was, I, maybe he was probably a consultant or something like that, but those are listed as the three main people as part of this design. And what they did was they came up with the game that had the core mechanisms of pandemic but the way you play a characters and the way the game plays out is totally different than the base pandemic game. And it's a good thing because if mm -hmm. it had been just a base pandemic, then why even bother with just new minis? So that's what it's going to take to get me to, to enjoy this game. What is the new part of this? Because as you just said, it's the core. Play four actions, draw two cards, infect the board. There you go. You got the base. So there's you don't have to worry about explaining that. Now, some of mm -hmm. the core actions have changed, but... They've streamlined that, and to me, that was a very nice surprise and refreshing ad addition change to the board. I, I didn't miss anything they took out. What'd they streamline? Travel. Oh. D direct flights, uh, uh, shuttles, um, and, you know, along those lines. Trading. You know, trading's out. Yeah, you, you don't get to trade with anybody. There's no trading of cards anymore. You still draw cards into your hand, and we'll talk about what they do in a second, but they're no longer used for travel and you can't trade them, which you think, wait a minute, that's not a good thing. It's like, no, you don't need to trade them with what they've done with the system. Absolutely. So they use those core mechanisms and compress them into the card play, which I think is very key to this and something people need to know who are very familiar with Pandemic and appreciate the core game. But trust me, if you can, I can. Okay, I appreciate that. I really yeah. do. After 30 plus years that you can <laughs> trust me. I can uh, trust you. Okay. You're not going to miss those actions. You're not going to miss the actions of, of moving cubes off the board. Matter of fact, what they replaced it with was phenomenal. <laughs> phenomenal. It, it was. And I wasn't sure that I was going to like it because it involves dice. Now, when you set this game up, the game board is gorgeous. It's a beautiful map of North End, which is a section of Azeroth. They use some of the same art assets that's in the game, a lot of the same character pictures and everything. So if you're familiar with Warcraft and you're familiar with whether it be Warcraft 3 or World of Warcraft, the art and everything in the style is going to look very familiar to you. And if you play Pandemic, you know there's roles. Now, Tony, there's not roles in this game. Instead, you're playing one of the famous characters uh, from World of Warcraft. There's eight different characters to choose from. Some of these I'd heard of and some of them I had not. So let's, let's dwell into this. So everybody who's familiar with pandemic, you know, the roles, you know, the medic, you know, the dispatcher, you know, the scientist, you know what they do and how they do it. So how did they take those roles? And this was how I viewed it afterwards. How did they take those roles and change them for Warcraft? They took those actions, mixed them among the heroes. For instance, the scientists could always, you know, cure disease with four, le with four cubes. Here, you're going to find a hero that may give them a benefit for relieving the scourge infestation, the ghoul infestation, and how they handle that. Because they got rid of that plucking the cubes out. I like how, of all the heroes, they, they combined the various roles. So believe it or not, even though it's different, in my opinion you will be very familiar with these roles, these special actions of these characters. For example, I can't remember. Again, you've played more recent than I have. There was a character that helped move people across the board, right? Dispatcher. Dispatcher. So here, Jaina Proudmore, who was from, you, a very famous character from Warcraft 3, her ability was teleport. Move directly to any space up to four spaces away. 
Mm-hmm. So she's one that can jump across the board quickly. There was a ranged attack person in here. They could attack spaces adjacent to them with the ranged attack and not take any damage back. Damage is just different too. Not take any damage back. So they all have unique abilities. Now, I love the story from Warcraft 3. I don't know if you ever played that, the RTS, but the story in that was amazing. You start out playing as Arthas, who you feel is going to be the protagonist in this story. He ends up being the antagonist and ends up becoming the Lich King. And there are characters that uh, played in that game, such as Sylvanas, Windrunner, Jaina Proudmoore, and Muradin Bronzebeard that was all in that original game. And those characters are here, but plus more that uh, came out of the expansion uh, Wrath of Lich King from World of Warcraft. So a lot of familiar characters. So if you play the game, these are going to feel familiar to you. So another big difference, Tony, and you, and you mentioned this, is... You just don't walk into a place and say, I'm going to take an action to remove a cube. No, very Warcraft fashion. You got to do some combat. With that in mind, you've got to do some battles. You've got to shoot the bow. You got to swing the hammer. You got to slam some people's faces against some shields. Okay, you're rolling dice. (laughs) That's it. But I love it. I love that randomness. I was going... I enjoy random. Marty knows that I enjoy, and y'all know that if you listen to the podcast, I love the randomness of dice, and I love the dice action of the game. And here I was like, okay, I like this new feature. I like this, take it up a little bit in stakes. That's what I was really hoping for. How can you make a little bit more tension in this game other than flipping over the um, epidemic card that occurred in the base pandemic? How can you take the tension up? And dice rolling, does exactly that. Because if you fail, as we saw repeatedly across the board when Marty was rolling, you're going to get hurt. And you have a health factor. Your character can go to the great beyond in this game. And, and I love it. <laughs> you have to make a corpse run. Yeah, so you yeah, actually got to make a corpse run. <laughs> oh, I like that. There you go. Uh, <laughs> you remember that. Uh, so every character has a certain amount of health. Some of your characters are tanks. They have a health of eight. The, like the ranger I was talking about earlier only has a health of six. So again, they're not exactly the same, different health characteristics. And you have a tracker uh, that you attach to your character sheet where you track the amount of damage that you're going to get. Because when you walk into a space with ghouls or abomination and you want to fight... It's a two-way battle. You're going to hit them, and they're going to hit you. So your dice consist, they're D6. They have shields, fists, or combination of both on the dice. There are no blanks, which I actually liked. So when you walk into a space, and let's say there's three ghouls there, just as an example combat, because this is really straightforward, you're going to roll two dice. You're going to count up the number of fists that you have, and you're going to deal one damage per fist. The ghouls, the little small miniatures, only take one damage, they're removed from the board. There are three abominations in the game that can be on the board and they're moving around. They take three damage in order to knock out and they must be knocked out in one single attack. Damage does not roll over. If I deal, let's say there's three ghouls there, I deal two fists, I remove the two ghouls, but that one ghoul that's left hits me back. If I have a shield on one of my die, I cancel that hit. If I don't, I take a damage. And that is the extent of the combat. It flows. It's very easy to resolve. It moves quickly. And Tony, I think that's what makes it so good. Sometimes in combat systems, you can get bogged down in the numbers and the dice rolling and resolution. And this is really quick and easy to do. Marty, you took damage. Your character is getting low on health. 
you may have to do a corpse run. Can you get that health back? Uh, Tony, I can because guess what? I have a brand new action that's available to me as one of my four actions. I can take a rest action where I can roll two dice and for every fist, I get to heal up one health point. There you go. Can't be any simpler than that unless you're on a special space. And here is the other part of the game that's way different than Pandemic that I think, again, makes it feel like an MMO. The goal of the game is to get to Ice Crown Citadel and fight the Lich King. But first, you must complete three side quests. Like any good MMO, you can't go straight to the big boss. No, no. You got to deal with these little quests that are around the board. There's three different colored regions of the board. And at the beginning of the game, you're going to randomly select a quest for each of those regions. Each region has a one of three quests that, can, that they can be. And then you must complete all these quests in order to be able to move up to the Ice Crown Citadel and take on the Lich King. So Tony, aside from moving as an action, attacking as an action, and resting as an action, when I'm on the quest space in a particular region, what else can I do? I don't know. You tell me. What else can I oh do? Oh my gosh. You can take a quest action. Oh yeah. Well, I thought you just said that. Did you not just say that? You can take... Okay. How about this? How do you resolve a quest action, Tony? Let me just set you up even better. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. A quest action allows you to go questing where the quest token is. You showed up. The Murlocs, or what was that the thing that did the noise that you love so much? I'll play it right here. There's a Murloc sound. So you show up to the quest location in whatever city it may be, and you do that quest action. And once again, you're rolling dice. When you roll the dice for every fist, you may advance the quest marker. But you can also show a card that has the symbol in the quest path to advance it one more. That is how you advance the quest to get to the very end of it. Now, there's a problem though. The quest has special characteristics that may reduce the amount of quest tokens you can do, use. It may do, oh, it does do damage to you, or it may cancel out certain actions that you can do. So they're all different. While you're questing, you're going to be taking damage. And as Marty pointed out, you cannot rest there. So you can't just sit there and do this over and over and over again unless you have a special card. But Marty, if I'm there questing and you happen to show up too because you got the same quest from the quest vendor, what can you do to help me? Well, this is what is so beautiful about this game is I think it really, really brings in the co-op to me, possibly even more than the base pandemic. Sometimes you want to be apart. Sometimes you not need to be together. And when you're questing, you want to be together. So this quest card, as you said, there's a quest path, which is just a path of a series of symbols that you can move along. Those symbols also correspond to the types of cards that you're going to have in your hand. You know, in Pandemic, there were locations, there were cities. Here, there's a fight card, which can help you increase your battle. There's a defense card that you can play that you can use to help defend when taking damage. There's a rest card that is a free action that is, allows you to rest, even on a quest space. And then there's a travel card, which help, helps you to travel. Each of those cards has a special icon in the upper left. The quest path also consists of various sets of those types of icons. So if you're there and you just quested, and you showed a card, let's say the next icon on the quest path was a little fight icon, and you showed it, and the next one is defense. If I'm there, and I have a defense card, I can show it and help you and 
progress that quest token. We're working together. But Tony, what I loved is, you know how in pandemic, you were sometimes struck with, man, I've, I've, I've got this card that allows me to travel to the city, but I really need this color to help eradicate the disease. But if you travel, you have to discard the card. Here, you get to keep the card and not having to discard the card I think makes this game way more enjoyable. I agree. And always having to get rid of and manage those cards in pandemic, it, that's part of the risk of the game is card counting, knowing what you have left and being able to cure the disease and managing that. That's part of that strategy. When to expel those cards here, you don't have to worry about that, which I think also speeds up this game tremendously. It, it seemed that way for me versus pandemic where it's the trading of the cards and, and, and manipulating here. I'm going to play this card. Boom. I'm done. It's got a free action. I've got four actions. Here's a free action. I'm going to do that. Questing, amazing. And you know what? What's the best benefit about completing a quest? The loot. You get loot. So you complete a quest. Now you have a loot card, which going back to pandemic were those special event cards. That's what these loot cards are. So instead of them being fed into the pandemic deck or the encounter deck in this game, they are done for the completing the quest. So you know there's only three of them. And they're random. There's a whole deck of those. They come out each game. You don't know what they are until they complete the quest. The person who completes the quest get them. And it's usually a one-time use, but it's an extremely good card that can be used uh, one time. Now, another thing I like that's different than Pandemic. Oh my goodness, you remember when you flipped over the Infector deck and it said, hey, put a cube in this city. Uh-oh, there's already three cubes here. Uh-oh, outbreak and then you have to put a cube of the same color in each adjacent city here when you flip over a card it's going to say put a ghoul at this particular location if there happens to be three ghouls there well something happens but now it's no longer an outbreak there's no chain reaction to where ghouls pop up in the areas around it instead this is called an overrun and what happens is is that you have to move the despair marker down and in, in pandemic it was called, was it the outbreak marker that was outbreak. on the left hand mm -hmm. yeah so if the outbreak marker ever got to the end you lose same thing here you have to move the despair marker if the despair marker ever gets to the end of the track that's one of the ways to lose and you must also spawn an abomination and that's how abominations pop onto the board now here's the kicker I said there's only three abominations. Now, there is one extra thing at the very end of your turn that has to resolve that's not in the base game. The abominations activate. They are going to move to the closest hero. They're going to move one space, and if they're in a space with the hero, they're just going to automatically deal one damage. So these guys are traveling around the board, but you need to take care of them because if an overrun occurs and there's not an available abomination to put on the board, the despair marker moves, moves two spaces down the track. So it, it accelerates. So for us pandemic players, there's your outbreak. If it gets to the end, you game's over. Also, if you have to do a corpse run, which we won't take credit for this, by the way, for anyone who's listening, comes up with this and using their game night, you have to move an additional two, I believe. Yes. So you're doing a corpse run. That can also cause the despair to go down. So mm -hmm. despair is a way to lose. Just like in the base pandemic game, you have, well, you know, whenever an epidemic comes up, you move a tracker that tells you how many more cards to flip over to infect the debt or infect the board here, place the ghouls on it. It's that same mechanic, but that there is a scourge track. I believe that's what it was called, Marty. That would also move up that said you would need to flip over more of the World of Warcraft cities. 
that's pure pandemic right there. There's no, uh, that's easy for people to follow. Once again, more familiarity, taking some of the key core elements of pandemic and using them very well here. Also, when you activate an abomination, if he moves, he moves to the closest hero, of course, the heroes decide if he ends up in your spot, you're going to take some damage. So, of course. I mean, he just walked in, walked up, tapped you on the shoulder and slashed you. That's you weren't listening to me when I said that, did you? I was listening. <laughs> so, so what we wanted to really emphasize when we talked about this are the big differences between the base pandemic and this pandemic. And hopefully we've made our point that this plays a lot different than the base pandemic. This is not a World of Warcraft theme pandemic game. They've taken, again, like Tony said at the very beginning of the game, what's those core mechanics? Take four actions, draw two cards, flip over a card, the epidemic, or what's it, what's it called? Well, no, when you draw two cards, does the, does the epidemic card, the scourge card come yes, out? Yes, sorry. And then you resolve, yeah, and this game is called the scourge, and it works the exact same way as the epidemic card. You're going to take a card from the bottom of, in the regular pandemic games called the infector deck. You're going to take the bottom of that card. You're going to put three ghouls in that space, put it in the discard pile, shuffle the discard pile, put it back on top of the draw deck. Mm -hmm. Now, one thing we haven't covered, or if you have, I wasn't listening kind of like previously. <laughs> how do you win? All right. Here, here's how you win. You have to complete all three quests. Once you do, you can move to the Ice Crown Citadel, and then you have to defeat the quest that's at the Ice Crown Citadel, which is a bigger quest. And it's and like I said, every time you take a quest action, you're taking damage. So you've got to leave the Citadel, heal up, come back. Or if you have a rest card, play it, try to heal up. So you just can't sit there and quest the entire time. And while even that's going on, you're still spawning ghouls and abominations are moving around the board and they're going to run straight to the Ice Crown Citadel because that's where everybody's going to be. Or is it? Because this is where I loved as we played we played the game first time we lost we said we gotta play this game we played it the second time we won and when we got to the ice crown citadel you and bert decided we're gonna go to the citadel marty you have that ranged ability where you can attack adjacent areas you just stay out in the rest of north end and try to clean up the abominations and ghouls to try to keep overruns from happening and we'll go questing and it worked so well you guys quested together and i tried to keep the overruns from happening and so some of the strategies that you use in Pandemic can carry forward here. Uh, you got to control the overrun, just like you got to control the outbreaks. Figure out which characters are best for the questing, just like you would for curing the, the disease and, and the synergies there. Now, one thing, and I know you didn't say this. I was listening here. I appreciate the Lich King letting us roam freely about his world and, and do this kind of stuff, but I think he's going to get upset. And if he gets in that realm, he might do something to us. He might get upset with us and make it harder on us. Does he, Marty? He sure does. Because when a Scourge card comes up, whatever card you draw off the bottom of your deck, the Lich King's going to go to that area, and there's a place in that uh, area where he just sits. And while he's there, whenever you take a combat action or a quest action, you're going to take one additional damage just because he's standing over there. And that really hurt us first game, Tony, because there was a quest we needed to get completed and we could not get that Lich King to move until a Scourge car came up. So if a Scourge car came up back to the exact same zone, he was going to stay there. So every time we tried to clean up the zone and quest, we were taking additional damage because he wouldn't move. Now, after all three quests are completed, he actually moves to 
the Ice Crown Citadel, which is a nice little pedestal made out of cardboard that's sitting there in the middle of the board, and you put him there, ready to go, and you go up and join him and fight up against him. Oh, and by the way, while you're doing that, because he's in that zone, he's also dealing an additional damage at that point, too. These are the little rules that you got to keep straight that are different from the pandemic. I'm going to sum it up because we've been going on pretty good here. I don't know if people got the general gist that we enjoyed this, but I did. I enjoy this. I'm glad that we got to play this. Now, my concern is for those that are familiar with pan Pandemic and they see the system and are not familiar with World of Warcraft, then basically they're going to sit there and think, this is just fantasy base, you know? Mm -hmm. But it is that dice mechanic. Is it worth adding it to your shelves? I will add it to my shelves just because we enjoy the Pandemic. I think it's different enough and I'll be honest with you, Donna doesn't ever want to play Pandemic again because she's she's living it. Mm -hmm. But we always enjoyed the core mechanics. And I think that's important to know. It, it separates that out. It gets it's, This game is perfect to come back and, and say, okay, you know what? Let's give you something different. Let's forget about what the whole base game was about. Here's something fun. Here's a battle. I haven't played the base Pandemic in quite a while. I've played Pandemic Legacy most recently. But what I enjoy was the different themed ones. Like, for example, I have the Fall of Cthulhu, Rise of Cthulhu, the Cthulhu themed pandemic, whichever it is, and enjoyed it. I think my favorite non-pandemic themed game is Fall of Rome. I really enjoy the fact you're playing as Romans and barbarians are trying to march into your area and you need to keep them cleaned up. I like this one more than Fall of Rome, and I really, really like Fall of Rome. And I too was concerned. I was concerned about the dice rolls. I thought, man... You're going to get unlucky rolls. But one thing I really appreciated about the dice, there's no blank sides. If you didn't deal enough damage to kill something, then you probably have shields that at least protected you from that damage. So you'll just probably have to take another attack. And if you do do enough damage to wipe out a few of the things on the board and there's still a ghoul or abomination left, well, you may take a little bit of damage, but you did clear out that space a little bit to keep over overruns from happening. So the dice aren't cruel and didn't mention this, you could play a fight card. When you do a combat, you could play a fight guard to increase the number of fists that you show. That's where the cards come into play. You could play a defense card to keep, as I said earlier, to keep from taking additional damage. So the cards help you out and there are certain abilities on some of the characters that help out. For example, on our second game, I can't remember whether it was you or Bert, that said, hey, I can turn one of my shields that are on a die into a fist. You, you brought up something, and I hate that we're prolonging this. When you talked about the dice, when you're questing, you won't see those fists. And so you, so you get a lot of hits, a lot of advancement, but there's no protection against damage. Except the shields. But if, if you get four fists, you can oh man, I've really moved through that quest, but you took a lot of damage, especially mm -hmm. if the Lich King is in that area. So, and we kept doing, well, in my mind, I kept associating it. Hey, I'm really going all oh, Leroy Jenkins in here, which many of us know what that is. Leroy Jenkins. You could wipe the whole group. There's benefits for the fist, but sometimes you don't want them all to show up. You need some of the shields to show up because you may not have that defense card. So it's a, it's a, so it's a good, good give and take. Yeah, and that's where I love the co-op of this game. It's like, guys, we really need to work through this quest as fast as we can because the Lich King's over here. So let's all get together because every time somebody quests, who's ever in that quest spot can also show one card to advance the quest. So if you work it out correctly, every time that you 
quest, hopefully you have enough variability in the icons you have in your hand that along with what you rolled with the dice, each of you can show one card to progress that quest token three additional spots instead of you're just sitting there and doing it by yourself. Even as we talk about it, I'm getting excited to play this again. It's what I wanted it to be, and I was worried that when this was announced, I overhyped it in my head that it was not going to be as good as I wanted it. The art is fantastic. The miniatures are fantastic. The Lich King model is just gorgeous. I actually want to um, paint it. It is not the regular Pandemic. If you've played Pandemic, you see how it was inspired by that. But with the dice and the way the cards work, it is a totally different game. Z-Man has knocked it out of the park with this version. It is now my favorite version of Pandemic, Tony. I've already mentioned, you know, the negative fantasy realm for others. The only other thing concerned, but it's begging for an expansion, would be the final quest. There was only one of those. This is ready for more Warcraft heroes, more questing. You know the world better than I do. I don't remember it. So you could even add additional boards, kind of like they did with some of the pandemic things. Who knows? Oh, yeah, for, for sure. And you make a good point. We played with Bert, who had never played World of Warcraft. He had played Warcraft 3, so it was kind of vague to him. So he said, this isn't one of those games I would have picked up because of the theme because I don't have any relationship to it. Mm -hmm. So I do understand that. If you have never played WoW, you're going to look at this and go, yeah, all right. It looks like, like you said, Tony, like a fantasy game. But if you're looking for a pandemic that offers something different, this is it. Now, Tony, I am excited because I'm looking at the back of the rule book. It says right here, and I'm showing you in the camera, Z-Man Games and up above it, Blizzard Entertainment. Now, what's another IP that uh, Blizzard makes that might make a good board game? The Lost Vikings. There you Oh, I wasn't thinking that, but that's good. That'd be a fun <laughs> little co-op puzzle game too, wouldn't it? That'd be a, I just thought of that one. I knew where you wanted me to go, but I'm going to throw the boy a curveball here. The Lost <laughs> Vikings. Lost Vikings, good. Starcraft. Starcraft. I mean, so one of our favorite games from FFG from many, many years ago was Starcraft, the board game. I love that universe too. Tony and I were talking before we started recording. We aren't sure how you would do a pandemic Starcraft because... There's three different factions, and depending on what faction you play, you're the good guy, in quotes. <laughs> you yeah. know. So there's not really you're playing against one enemy. It's three uh, very but, different factions. But it could be the Zerg. I mean, you could be. they could do the whole theme. Uh, oh, God, I can't even think of what the, uh, the human race is. In oh, Terrans. Terrans. Terrans yeah. and Protoss. Yes, you could be the Terrans and do the heroes, Artemis Minx, and do all those, and then do the Zerglings coming out as as the creep comes in, just like the Lich King, where you know you've got the mothership sitting there, and you could have the creep coming. Oh, and then you have the Queen of Blades in there as your big baddie. But yeah, you can. So the Queen of Blades is there, but if you wanted to then switch over to the maybe it's Protoss and Terrans teaming up which is kind of what the theme and the story of the game is oh that's true you know what that would work so you could have Protoss characters and you could have Terran characters I like that man because the the creep works exactly like diseases right mm -hmm. it wants to spread mm -hmm. and the Zerglings are going out there's your little ghouls so there you go oh hey so there you go not that anything like this is going to happen to make us happy but <laughs> Well, this this game made me happy. I just I think it's interesting now that obviously people at Z-Man have some sort of relationship with Blizzard and there is an IP sitting out there that I would love to see utilized again. This is Pandemic World of Warcraft Wrath of the Lich King from Z-Man Games. Could be my hit of the year. Could be.
You just heard about a game that Tony and I really, really liked, and it's a combination of a video game that we played plus a board game. When a designer can come along and put those two sorts of things together, it can make a really fun experience, which is why I'm excited. One of my favorite Euro designers of all time, Martin Wallace, who's made such great games such as Age of Steam, Few Acres of Snow, and Brass, which we all really enjoy, has taken his talent to develop a board game around a video game that I enjoy called Anno 1800. This is a very popular game from Ubisoft that is a city building strategy game. You've played city builders before, like SimCity and stuff like that. Well, that's what Anno 1800 is. That takes place in, oh, roughly around 1800. But the goal of the game is to build your city, build out the population, keep everybody happy. You gotta have a good balance of farmers and workers and craftsmen, engineers and investors. That sounds like a great sort of game to make a board game out of. And that is exactly what Martin Wallace has done. This is a game that plays two to four players and plays in about two hours. It is available right now. Now it was announced last year and it has been available for a while in the German language, but now an English version is available from Cosmos. And if you've played Brass before, you know Martin Wallace has a great way of taking your standard Euro-type mechanics of collecting resources and spending them and using them to create a very thematic game. And that's exactly what can be done here with Anno 1800. When you start the game, you have a population. They are satisfied with everything they had. They got all the food and clothing that they need. But guess what? Over time, they're going to look for luxury goods. So you need to develop your strategies and set up trades and set up supplies so that you can create the goods that they're looking for because you want to keep everybody happy, which is the goal of the game, which is why you need to have a good balance of a bunch of different workers in your city to be able to provide everything that the people are looking for. However, all the other players are trying to do the exact same thing. So you need to keep an eye on them. Make sure that they don't steal any achievements that you've earned over the course of the game and compete to make sure that your island will prosper while hopefully everybody else's will fall. We just got a copy of this game and I cannot wait to get it on the table and try it out. Anytime there's a box with the designer Martin Wallace on it, I want to play it. And then you mix that with a video game that I absolutely love. Ugh. I cannot wait to see how this plays and you'll be hearing about it even more in future episodes. So if this interests you, go check out Anno 1800, designer Martin Wallace from publisher Cosmos. The English version is available right now. Tony, a little over a year ago or about a year ago, we were teased about a game that was coming out from publisher Board and Dice called Origins First Builders. This is by designer Adam Kopinski, plays one of four players, one to two hours. I was excited about this game, Tony, because it's a Euro game that uses dice, which we've liked a lot of those, right? We've liked Coimbra and we've liked Lorenzo El oh, Magnifico. Someday we'll get over that, but I doubt it'll be anytime soon. So yes, we, we've... We enjoyed those games. I completely agree with you on that. So maybe expectations are high. Cause, and that's fair. You, you expect certain things when there are mechanics that you really enjoy in a game. Such as you're using dice to be workers. And that's what this game is going to be doing. You're using these dice and based on their pit value, they're going to go out and do things for you. Now, you know, when they go out, 
If the pips are lower than a certain number, you may have to boost them a little bit, give them a little confidence. But they're going to accomplish tasks for you that will help you establish your empire. They're going to help you build your empire. I'm going to leave it at that. (laughs) Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. So the theme of the game is, is like the origins of civilizations. Aliens came down to Earth to help the human race build out their lands and civilizations and everything. So at the beginning of the game, you're going to start with two of five different colored dice that were rolled and you draft and do you draft those dice you have and they have a certain value assigned to them. Tony, one of the things you said that you can use is worker placement. There's a thing called visit an encounter site. At the top of the board, there are locations you can put that die that will activate that location to give you things. You can do a lot of different things. You can collect resources. You can move around the military track. We'll talk about later. You can move up, maybe going up to uh, the on the Zodiac level on the board. There's a whole Zodiac session we'll talk about. But the, the whole goal of the game is to eventually have enough resources to turn into buy tiles. And there's a tile laying portion of this game where those tiles are going to be the civilization that you build. But Tony, like you said, this this is a really interesting part. When you go to one of those encounter sites, they actually have like a little disc. It's supposed to be like a mothership, and it has values around it from one through six. And when you put your die there, you compare the value of your die to whatever the current value is on the mothership. If it's equal to or higher than, great. Nothing if the die is. If the die is less than, you have to pay a difference uh, with the resource uh, scrolls Uh, in order to be able to take that action. But as soon as you go there, that mothership rotates up one. So now if somebody else wants to go there on their turn, you better hope their die value is high enough to be able to go there. uh, Because if not, then they're going to have to pay scrolls in order to take that action. And all those places, they're not like only one person can go there. Those can have as many dice assigned to those motherships as you want during the course of the round. When you're doing that, you need to keep in mind that if the dice match a color for that execution, you get to do a bonus. If the dice that's there is a six, you get to do the two base actions. And if it's the color, then it gets to do the third action. So there's a strategy in that and making sure that certain dice are matching colors. And if they are the level six dice, then you are able to do additional bonus actions. Now, as Marty said, and I love when he does this in our review, as Marty said, when you're building these tiles, it's important that you place them out. They have to be adjacent to one another and in in a certain area, and they have to be a certain pattern because patterns will gain you a benefit. Because when you build a pattern, you can then claim that pattern and get two gold and get victory points. If you're the first person to do it, there's like these objective cards that are dealt on the table and it shows you a pattern of four different tiles based on color. If you have like four tiles and you have, say, two, uh, two blue and one orange in a certain configuration, if you're the first person to claim it, you get the gold. Anybody else that goes there will just get the points. Right. And you can do that pattern again and you'll get a lesser amount of victory points. The building tiles match the color of the die. So that's pretty easy and self-explanatory on how they're doing. And of course the buildings all have different functions like the red, I think was military. And then the yellow was all about gathering resources and blue was maybe knowledge or something process. Here it is. Place a die, gather resources, use those resources to build tiles, to generate victory points 
or go up the temple track or the zodiac to be able to claim a special ability if it's on the table or move around the military value or the military track to help you gain special or not gain special, but get resources and also gain victory points. There you go. The game is about victory points. Yeah, it is. And those tiles, um, you said they have different uh, abilities. When you put them down on the table, you immediately get to activate the ability. But what's interesting, Tony, is you could activate it again because another one of the actions you can do is called close a district. What happens is, is when you have four tiles, and by the way, these, these are hexed shaped tiles such that when you put them together two by two, there's a little square gap in the middle of them. You can take one of your dice that you've been using and close a district. And what that means is take that dice out of a out of your worker pool and put it in that little space in between those four tiles. And you can activate tiles of the same color of the dice that you use to close the district. So if I use a blue, then any blue tiles around that die, I can activate again. So there's this thing of, Placing a tile, getting to use its ability, but then when you close a district, try to reactivate as many of those as possible, which again will do different things. It'll give you some resources, give you victory points, et cetera, like that. So there's two ways to activate those. But what's interesting, Tony, is once you close a district, that die is gone. And what you have to do is get another die to replace it, which is one of the things that you can do on the board is claim another colored die, pay resources to get it. And it will, when a die comes into the board to be able to claim, you roll it and whatever, if it's a six, you re-roll it, but then you can claim it and use it again. But there was one key factor that I think you, you, we need to point out that when you're placing those dice as your workers and you're having to pay these resources, you had a special Archon figure, a little plastic figure. He could go there and he could bypass the requirements of the dice thing and not have to pay any resources. He automatically got to do one of those actions. Right either gather resources, whatever, but he has, he's colorless. Yep. He has no color and therefore he does never gets to do the special color action unless you draft one of your dice and make it an advisor. And then your Archon becomes the color of the dice that's in your advisor. And there are five spots. So your advisor can eventually take on all five colors if you get that opportunity. Right. Because one of the actions that you can do when you place your worker, one of them is you can increase the value of a die of your worker. Once it increases to six, uh, and then you would increase it again, it doesn't roll to, to one. What it does, it's retired. It becomes an advisor. So at some point in the course of the game, you want to increment your die to get them as high as possible because then they can activate you know everything without paying scrolls. But... The Archon, you want him to be able to have some additional abilities. So the next time you increment that die by taking an action, one of the special actions, you can actually make it an advisor. And then like Tony said, it becomes your your advisor and then comes, becomes that color. So if a blue die is an advisor, when I place my advisor on the blue mothership location, it acts as a blue. So I get to do the special blue ability. So well, Tony, what I thought was interesting is the fact that your workers come and go. You use your dice to close districts. Your dice, you rotate up to eventually to make them become advisors. But then you have to have the resources to go out and buy additional die to replace those. You start with two. And one of the things you can do on your turn is grow your population. You have to have some additional. There's these really nice little plastic uh, stands uh, to be able to put your dice in. 
Some of those are locked and you have to pay food to get them unlocked. When they are, that's called growing your population so that now you can have more workers that you can use during the course of a round. So I like that. I like the fact that workers are coming and going. They're changing in value. They're leaving play, but they're activating your advisor, making it better. It was just a nice little kind of a puzzle to put together. Okay. I didn't think it was much of a puzzle. I will say this. If, if at the beginning of the game, if you do not draft high, if the dice, if you draft low on the dice number or you get stuck with that, you are going to be playing catch up, not with a bottle, with the rest of the players. <laughs> you're, you're going to be sitting there trying, you are going to struggle to stay on top of the game. You will be finding yourself always having to rotate these dice up, wasting very valuable actions. So that was a problem for me. Yeah. I, I messed up. I needed to draft high. And if the roll just happens to be, and it's a serpentine draft at the beginning, if you don't pick up on that, then all right, well, now I'm telling you, if you want to play this game on the initial draft, draft dice high. Because I'm thinking that they will age out. Some of these games, they'll have an aging effect. And there is an aging effect to this, but you control that. Right. So I, so I did not have that experience or that knowledge to realize that. So that made the game to me become tedious. Gotcha. That, that I'm sitting there. And you made an interesting statement during, well, you should have grabbed that Zodiac card that allowed me to ratchet people up. Well, if that Zodiac card, which there's only, there's 12 Zodiacs, only three appear on that board. If that particular Zodiac is not out there, then you don't have that function. You don't have that capability. Yeah, that's, that's a random card that's dealt at the beginning. And let's talk about the Zodiac track. So there's these three Zodiac tracks that you can drive your token up. And uh, one of the actions is when you move it, you get to claim a card and the card gives you a special ability. At the end of the round, whoever's highest on that track actually just automatically uh, gets that card anyway. So being up on the track is good. But the scoring is interesting in these, Tony, because you looked at those tracks and like the top of the tracks, each like scored 70 points apiece. But the way the end game scoring works is you only score your two lowest tracks. So if you drive one up to 70, but your other two sitting at 10, you're only going to get 10 apiece. So you have to move them up together. Now, I will say this is a very point solid game, right? There are a lot of ways to score victory points and you can't do everything. It's like, I'm going to work on the military track. When you move around the military track, anytime you take an attack action, there's called an attack action. You get points for however many other players you're ahead of, plus a number of certain spaces that you've passed around that track. So you could go heavy military and just keep attacking and getting points. When attacking, you're not hurting anybody at all. You're not, they're not losing anything. You're just getting points because you're ahead of them. Or maybe you focus on the Zodiac track where you try to get up your tokens over there. Or one thing we didn't talk about, you build your towers. You start out with five single level uh, towers that are all the same color of the mothership. On, nothing you can do on your turn is pay gold to increase the height of your tower. And you have to pay gold equal to what the current level of your tower is. So the bigger the tower, the more it's going to cost. But what's also interesting, too, at the very beginning of the game, the way it's set up, the number of discs that are available for each color uh, varies. So some will have more than others. So some towers are going to be harder to build. And why are they important? Because at the very end of the game, whatever dice that were used to close the district whatever the value of those dice are in that district, you multiply that by the height of your tower. So let's say I have a purple die that's worth four and the height of my purple tower is two. I'm going to get additional eight points at the end. So I think, Tony, what we found was you can't do everything, 
Maybe you want to focus on building towers. Maybe you want to work on military track. Maybe you want to work on the Zodiac track. Maybe you want to try to build a really, really cool uh, district using the tiles in order to generate a bunch of uh, points that way. So that's where it's kind of feldy to me. You can't do everything. You need to focus on maybe one or two. But there's a problem with your logic. Okay. So if you want to focus on, let's say, the temple track, there is only one spot that you can go to that gives you that opportunity. Now, there may be an option by building the t- uh, building that will do something or another action that does sure. that. But the key action is on that mothership location. Yep. All right. You're going to do that. And eventually, by going there, like you said, the mothership is going to increase. Well, you've now got to increase your die or you've got to go get the philosophy. And now the you're philosophy? saying... Well, the scrolls. The wisdom scrolls philosophy. Is oh, that oh. The or or you, what you do is take a color that matches that uh, advisor or a die and make it an advisor. And then your archon is always that color. Yes, absolutely. Then your archon. So you're, you're always doing that. So that's one path to victory. So does it become scriptive? Does it become a game where you are always looking Point for that Point can't be prescriptive because there's multiple ways to score. But if I'm always doing the same thing, it is. Well, if that's the track you choose, I may choose to do the military track. If you do, you're going to lose because the the point values are not that great for the military. Just because you're beating someone doesn't mean that you're going to equal the 210 possible points in the temple. Yeah, but I could be using the stuff that I get from the military track to help me build my towers. And maybe between those two, I could catch what you do on the temple. But now you're over there on the tiles because in order to get the benefit of the towers, you're going to have to build the, the districts. It's a more meaty euro than meets the eye. All right. Then I don't enjoy the meat. Okay. Okay. That's fair. Okay. Now, now I will say this. I, I would say, but for me personally, I think the way the dice and everything works between this and say like Coimbra, I do like Coimbra more. Mm-hmm. Coimbra has the concept of colors of dice mean certain things in certain spots and the values of the dice mean certain things in certain spots. And this works the exact same way. I just think the clever thing about this is that the fact that the workers, your die, or are changing value, are going out of play, are being used to close districts, are being used to make your archon more powerful, or you have to draft new workers, you can grow your population to get more workers available to you. All those little things, there's a lot going on that you have to track and keep up with. I totally understand that. It's one of those things, if you're interested in playing this, then then here, you've heard two different perspectives. You've heard mine where I like the, the puzzleness of trying to come up with it. And Tony, you're not as big of a fan because what, what was the main reason? So in all fairness to the game, it did not resonate to me, but that may be because I did not engage very well with it. I found myself behind. And whenever I get into the a track of, I'm not seeing where... I'm able to generate the resources that allow me to be able to get the additional worker, which is allowing me to go down there to buy the additional worker because I'm having to use those resources to be able to meet the objectives of the mothership or meet the values of the mothership. I found myself in a continuous loop of playing catch up. And once again, it wasn't for my French fries. It was for me trying to catch you and Bert during this game, I never felt like I was an, on an equal footing. And when that happens, you get grumpy. I get grumpy. 
<laughs> I ch- I do. I get grumpy. I check out. It's on his face, boy. He was over there sitting back in the chair with his legs crossed, just, listening, just like told he is not enjoying this. <laughs> I mean, how soon can this game end? And it's oh. not. And I think it's so. Once again, in all fairness to this, all in fair to uh, the designer Adam, I'm just one person who the game did not resonate, and there could have been multiple reasons why. First sure. off. It was a poor draft on my to start with. So I'm okay. warning you now, when you play this game, you need to make sure the dice are drafted high to help you develop that initial reason. Every place you want to go, you've got to be able to go there and you don't want to waste your Archon. One thing I noticed that I did like a lot about this game is when we put that game on the table and we had those objectives about the color matching of the various um, buildings, mm-hmm. I noticed that there was a ton of orange in those color objectives. And in doing so, they limited the tower because they knew that you would be putting yellow dice there. Or orange dice. Orange dice, sorry. Yes. Orange dice because they knew you would be doing that so you could reactivate the cards. Therefore, yeah. they limited the amount of points that you could get on the tower. And I guarantee yeah. you, if you had a more diverse selection of objectives, that would be more balanced. Yeah. So, yeah, th- this is really neat. The objective cards when you put them out, actually dictate the number of discs that you put available to be built on your towers. Algorithmically, they've done it so that if there's tons of orange on these cards, there's going to be fewer orange discs available to use in your tower, like you said. A, a clever mechanic. Now, I, I do like those objective cards because it kind of gives you a goal to go towards. Uh, Bert rocked that, right? Man, he was matching patterns all over the place and getting... Uh, and claiming the gold and those victory points uh, really quick. And gold is like one of those wild resources can be used for multiple things, but also gold can be used to build towers uh, too, which is really important. So again, lots of things you can do on your turn. Place your dice in order to activate an encounter spot, which depending on the color that now we just make sure people understand your color die can go anywhere on under any of those motherships. It's just that you only activate the special color power if the dice matches. But the dice color doesn't have to match where you put it. And you're not limited in a typical worker placement fashion of only one dice per encounter site. Many dice can go there. And there's also actually these white dice that you can draft that are also colorless. So they're like temporary workers uh, that you can get in, in order to help you out too. So reviews are subjective. It's one of those things that it did. I did kind of like. I, it resonated with me. So Tony, it, it didn't resonate with you as much. Mileage will vary, right? And and that's what we talked about earlier is when you play a game, you may agree with me or you may agree with Tony or you may say you're both idiots. Here's the way it really actually is, which is probably that one. That's that's where I would go. I'd say Adam come back and say, you're a fool. You didn't realize this, this and this. And I own that. I am more than happy to do that. I'll be happy to play this game again. But I will tell you, just to prove myself right to myself and say, Tony, you're right. I'm going to go to the temple track every single time. Every time. I will draft that color die, and I will try to buy that worker every time and use use that to drive up the trim, temple track. Just just to see if, I can, see if I'm right so I can go back tomorrow and go, nah, 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 nah. I'm right. Yeah, that's fair. Again, this is Origins First Builder. It'll be out soon from Board and Dice from Adam Kwapinski. It is a clever, again to me, a very clever dice Euro game in the vein of, I get to do it again, Tony, Coimbra and Renzo El Magnifico. 
1979, a movie was released that scared the bejeebus out of me. (laughs) That movie was Alien. But when I saw that, I was never right again. That movie. (laughs) That's the movie the cause of what we have today? It started it. So in order to help correct this problem, Ravensburger has come out with Alien, Fate of the Nostromo, where you and the other players are on the ill-fated ship Nostromo, trying to keep away from the alien and complete your initial objectives. Once done, you have a final mission. Completing that, and you have survived the alien encounter. Unlike what I did back in 1979. (laughs) They've went all out on this game as Ravensburger does. When you put that box down on the table, that alien might just come right out of that box. And those of you that have seen Alien know what I'm talking about. It's going to jump out and leap at you. Or the cat, Mr. Watch It Played himself, has released an instructional video on this game. So easy to learn. Great co-op for the family. If you've never even seen the movie and you don't want to be stunted like me, <laughs> then play the game. I'm so excited. I love good co-op games like this that give you that feel of the IP that they are, are doing. And for Alien, Fate of the Nostromo from Ravensburger, it does just that. Be sure to head over to Target because Ravensburger has said, as Marty was stating before this, Supplies are short, and they've even halted some of their orders. So be sure to go out and grab Alien, Fate of the Nostromo. It's on Target shelves now. Five-minute initiative begins in three, two, one. So Marty brought to the table a game called Luna Capital. This is by Jose Policio. Publisher is Devere Game. And for those of you who have listened to Rolling Dice and Taking Names, you know I'm always playing Carcassonne with my wife. Love the tie lane aspect. And he goes, hey, they've got a tie lane game here where we are going to go out and we are going to settle the moon. Don't know why we want to do it, but we're going to go out and do it. And on our turn, we're going to be drafting an exploration tile. And then we're going to get a building structure and we're going to be placing it on this tile for the ultimate objective of not building an incredible spaceport, but to score victory points. Yeah, but the incredible spaceport is actually the way to get really cool victory points. And you said draft a construction. That's a construction card. Construction card. It's a card. And you're drafting tiles to put on those cards. Which are buildings. Yes, which are buildings, which are buildings. Yeah. And so it's one of those things where I first read it, it's like, okay. And, and Tony, you you made the great comparison before we started the show. You said it reminds you of Among the Stars, right? Mm-hmm. Yes, uh, it where does. you're putting buildings beside each other. And the way you orient buildings, there are certain buildings, if you get them set up a certain way, they score points. For example, here... Whoever has the most meteor cards, you're going to get some points at the end. There's a way if you get certain buildings around certain tiles, they generate one point for everyone that's around certain. It's a typical tile lane game where different tiles, the way they're oriented, score you points. But Tony, what I thought was cool was the way the tiles have to be placed. We talked about the construction cards. So on your turn, you got one of four construction cards that you pick up to go to come to your hand of cards and beneath it. In the very first round, you have one tile that's going to be available to you. You pick up that tile, 
you have to play a card from your hand and then put that tile that you drafted on one of the cards that's already on the table. But it's the rules for the card playing that I, that's important because those cards are numbered one through nine. Those cards can only be, you can only create three rows of cards and they must be in ascending order. So you can go two, six, seven, nine, but then that's it. That's, you can't put anything to the right of nine. So the way you orient those cards on the table is very important because you want to make sure to get your construction sites lined up in certain ways to also potentially meet goals that are set at the beginning of the game that you can use to claim uh, some victory points at the end of each round. If you built certain tiles, certain way, kind of like just objective cards. So for me, one of the unique thing is when you take that construction tile from the top, you are now forced construction to card. Fine. Construction card. You take that, you are forced to take the building tiles underneath it. So there may be something where you're like, I don't want to take this one, but I really want the tiles underneath it, the little right. buildings. Or, oh my God, I really need that low number on the construction card. And I don't want those tiles there. Because it doesn't help me for my in-game objective of scoring points based on my habitat, my um, various greenhouses that I am building. Overall, this was a very enjoyable, cleansing type game for me. I like the, the process of it, but a lot to keep up with when it comes time for scoring and figuring out how to do that. Because there are so many ways to go over the scoring. You need to sit down and explain that when you're learning that game. I really enjoyed this game. I think it's one of those games that, you know, Quick, fast, easy to play. I like the pl player count that we had two. I'm sure this goes one to four. I'm not sure about the solo. But overall, for me, I was a happy boy with this one. And what I think is really cool is, is you play uh, the, the first phase. There's, there's like three phases, A, B, and C. And there's four turns or four rounds per phase. The first one, when you draft a card, there's one tile available below it. After we both have drafted one, there's going to be, you're going to pull tiles from a bag and there's going to be two tiles below each card. So that time you're going to draw a card, take two tiles. Remember these tiles, tiles must be played every time. Third time, there's going to be three tiles that have to be drafted. The fourth time, there's four. And Tony, when there's four tiles that need to be played, especially towards that third phase, you got to have, have spaces on the board to put them and hopefully not mess up your scoring potential uh, by placing a bad tile in a bad location. Right. And every construction card does not have four spaces. Mm. Some may only have three and that will hamper your ability to play them. But if you play your cards right, you will have enough space and you'll be able to do that. So you have to take that in. Enjoyed it. Really had fun. I think I've already said that. Marty, your final thoughts. Yeah. So to me, what makes this game unique is that whole construction card mechanic where they must be placed in rows. They must be ascending and there can only be a three row max. So that kind of dictates the, the tiles where you're going to be able to put them. Some of the locations on the cards are like construction sites where only certain things can be put on those uh, cards themselves and the spaces on their cards. Played a lot of tile laying games. You're going to, it's going to feel kind of familiar. It's like, okay, I got to orient these to generate points, but it's the cards that you put down. And the fact that when you draft those tiles, they must be used immediately. And through each round, the number of tiles you draft increase, making it tough to get those into play. So again, Luna Capital from Devere Games. Tony, as a toweling fan, sounds like he really likes it, and I dug it too. Five-minute initiative is complete. A few episodes, we had Ignacio on to talk about the game 11. It is currently, right now, on GameFound.com. 
Now, I mean, there's no surprise, Tony. This thing just kind of immediately funded and like within 30 minutes, they're already up to over $250,000. Their goal was only 35,000. So people are loving this game. There was a demo at Gen Con. Uh, there, so there's some promo videos out there if you want to go see how this game is played. This game is a Euro game. It's not necessarily about like Blood Bowl where you're putting figures on the field and playing an actual sports game. No, you're actually running the club. You're the manager of the club. You're trying to put together a team and manage a team and, and manage the resources to pay the players and players can get hurt and you have to find new players. And when it comes to game day, you need to set up your field of how you want to, to run your team and, and hopefully can win that game and the, over the course of the game, generate more resources, try to have the best record by the end. There is a lot of theme in this game. And again, when this episode drops, you're only going to have like a week left to back this game. So you need to go over to GameFound.com. We'll have a link in the show notes for 11. Again, $250,000 as of right now has already been pledged toward this game. And every single day, there are brand new add-ons to the game, like actual grass mats and nice little stadiums. Hey, Tony, have you seen the stadium that can be now used for a strike? Uh, well, of course, because, you know, those football players are like gladiators in an arena when they're out there. So, yes, it's a really cool arena. No, oh, gladiators in an arena. Oh, one more year, y'all. Gen Con next year. We need to fix this. Anyway, go check out 11 over at GameFound.com from Portal Games. All right, Marty, I do not want to overstay our welcome this time with this show, so we need to hurry up and get out of here. But before we do, in 2019, we did this event. It was called Gen Con. I don't know if you remember. Uh, vaguely? I don't know. I remember having good times there. There was one event that, I, uh, that happened there that I just totally put out of my mind, though. I understand. That's fine. But there was a game that we got to see an early copy of mm. that's coming to Kickstarter soon that... Rolling dice and taking names because I think we just fanboyed all over it. They remembered us and sent us an early prototype, and it's called Paint the Roses. It's a racing game, oh. deduction game. Yeah, you gotta, <laughs> well, it, it is. You got to get away from the Queen of Hearts. This is based on Alice in Wonderland, and you think back to the the end scene where Alice is out there with the Queen of Hearts, off with their heads, and she's coming after you. She's going take your head. If you don't get moving and outrun her, that's it. <laughs> that's it. That's wow. It. You make it sound like something totally different than what it is. It no, sounds like it. you're making it like a racing game. That's how you end the game. I understand, but it's 100% a tile lane co-op deduction game. That ends quickly if you don't outrun the queen. <laughs> that's fair. That's fair. That's fair. Okay. Okay. You're trying to stay ahead of the queen by placing your tile strategically such that... At the beginning of the game, everybody draws a card. It's called a whim card that has a combination of two tiles on the card. These are hex tiles, by the way, and this is a really nice board. The, the deluxe version, y'all. If you got the money, go get the deluxe version because oh, yeah. it has these nice little inlays and these nice ceramic tiles. These tiles consist of four different color flowers and four different card suits. Guess what they are? Hearts, diamonds, clubs, spades. And there's different combinations of color flowers on different uh, card suits. Each of these whim cards are patterns that you're trying to make 
in the garden. The goal, Tony, is you're the gardener. We are the gardeners cooperatively trying to complete this garden before, like you said, the, the queen catches us. And how we do that is that when we plant a, a flower onto the garden, we want to try to match a certain pattern that's on our card. It may be two certain colors together. It may be two shapes together. It may be a combination of a color and a shape. For example, maybe I want two red flowers beside each other. So on my turn, there's going to be four tiles available to me. I can draw one of the tiles. Hopefully, it's maybe it's a red one. If I put it on the board beside another red tile, I take one of my clue discs and I put it on that tile. You and Bert, who we played with, then can try to deduce, huh, he put a clue token on that red one. So he must have put it there because one of the other tiles that that red flower touches must be the pattern that's in his hand. Now, Tony, if if I, did, if I did it well and did it played smartly, the only other tile maybe it's touching is another red one. And you see that in my hand, I have an easy whim card. And the only thing that ma- the only patterns on those cards are just colors to colors. That's the only thing you're matching. You go, you smartly deduce. Oh, well, that must be a red to red. Are you correct? And I'll put it down and go, yes, y'all are correct. And there's a number on that card. And that's how many spaces we move around the track with our gardener. But let's say I put it where it touches a yellow and a red. You guys have no clue. Is my whim card a red yellow or is it a red red? It's a 50-50 chance. You must guess. The rules state you must guess every single turn. If you guess wrong, then the queen moves double her speed. Her speed starts out at one. But as she goes around, as you go around the board, when you pass the white rabbit, just like from the the show, she speeds up. Her speed goes from one to two, then two to three, three to four. And if you guess wrong, she moves double her speed. If she ever catches up to you, she lops off your head and your game is over. Loved it. I absolutely loved it. You're planting rose bushes. Got you. I'm with you. I'm enjoying that aspect of it. I'm enjoying the production of the game. I've never been a big fan of memory or not memory games, but uh, deduction, deduction games. We all know Logic that. Games, yeah. I didn't realize all... that. So you never like think you never played in search of planet X. Do you like, like uh, mastermind as a kid? Never did play, uh, care for like stuff like that. I, I really didn't. I mean, okay. I, I played it a lot with, uh, with the daughter, Clue? of course. Clue. Not a big gotcha. fan. Okay. So, but Aside from that, so I'm sitting there. So why did I enjoy it so much at Gen Con in 2019? Mm. Was because of a couple of aspects of it that one of them is when you place that one tile, you were sitting there giving us a clue, but your clue may also work for me. Mm. So then I can place a clue token that can help us in later rounds. Now, I, of course, can't help say, hey, by the way, you know, this is working, but I just gave you a clue that whatever you place works for me as well. Ah, so you're saying that the tile that I placed, it's beside another existing tile that also is what's on your card. Mm-hmm. You say you took one of the medium whims, and the medium can be color to color or shape to shape. Right. So now you two can try to guess maybe what my whim card is, but Bert and I can maybe try to guess what yours is, right? I mean, we haven't got to guess the person's card that placed the tile. It could right. be anybody that's sitting at the table. Yes. So for, with that... Not only is it very important to place this and pay attention to what they're placing that can help out, but when you're placing, you might be sitting there thinking, hmm, I think I know what he was trying to communicate, and mine's real easy, so let's see if we can place this to help 
eliminate or deduce what's actually in his hand because he has a hard card, which is color to color or shape to shape or shape to color. Mm. And so, and if you guess a hard, you get to move faster or, or more spaces, not faster. You get to move more spaces, very tight. You do have to use the paper that comes with it to try to figure out what's not. Oh, yeah. It's like a little logic paper. You remember those little yeah. logic puzzles we played as a kid where it's a grid, like all the colors on one side and all the shapes on the other side, and you can cross off the different combinations you think it is or is not sort of right. deal. So you've got that going. And then not only that, and this is something that we discussed as we were playing is it's not only what you take, it's what you left behind. Well, if he had taken that... He would have done this, this, and this. So obviously, and I always felt like we were doing the scene from The Princess Bride, you know, where you had the logical <laughs> argument. Right. You've got all that going on. So it's more than just memory and clue where you're just trying to guess. You are actually having to use the deduction that you're given, not only what was placed, what wasn't placed, what, what other cubes have shown up, as well as being strategic on who takes what level of card between. You can only have one easy out or a medium or a hard while trying to outrun. Very tight, very tense. Oh, the t yeah, the tension is just palpable, especially towards the end of the game, where she's automatically speeding up because you're place, uh, passing the white rabbit on the board, which makes her uh, move quicker. And there's less spaces on the board to be able to put tiles at the end. And Tony, you made a very good point that we discussed too. When I place a tile, the fact that you and Bert did not put down one of your clue tokens it's information. Mm -hmm. That means that maybe we had been working on yours, Tony. And I put down a tile that maybe works for me, but you didn't put anything. Then Bert and I go, oh, well, then we thought maybe Tony would have had maybe this pattern with or this shape with this shape. Since he didn't put down a clue token, we can eliminate off the sheet. We know it's not that one because he would have put down a clue token. So it's not only what's important of when a token's put down, but when it's not, that is everything that you do in this game is information that you need to track somehow and, and, and use as you play the game. Right. And information of looking at my face going, y'all are idiots. Do you not see the pattern? <laughs> well, it's also interesting too, is not only is it what you place, but remember you have four tiles that you can pick from what you didn't pick and left behind on that board might be important. And I said that. Yeah, you did. I was just kind of re-emphasizing that. We didn't mention this too. If you happen to put a tile down, let's say I have red to yellow and I put my red flower between two yellow tiles that touch each one of them, I put down two of my clue tokens to indicate I matched this pattern twice, which makes it a lot easier um, to deduce. Sometimes, this is interesting, you'll put down a tile where you don't get, you don't put down a clue token at all. Again, that's information. Sometimes you'll purposely put down one because you've heard, I've heard you and Bert talk and you, you had this idea what you think mine may be. I may put a tile in place to eliminate that because I don't use a clue token. 2019. We enjoyed it. We got an early copy. We really enjoyed it. Coming to Kickstarter. This is Paint the Roses. In October. Yep. It's by Ben Goldman. By Ben Goldman, and this is being produced by... It's being produced by North Star Games. Again, they're going to have a regular version, a deluxe uh, edition. And again, I just want to talk to you to how tense it is. We won our game with the queen being one space behind us. Mm -hmm. One extra space we would have lost. And here's the thing. The turns go quick, meaning putting a tile on the board takes no time. 
the entire game is just discussion. It's talking between people. It's it's writing down clues, deducing what the state of the board is. That's the game. The actual picking a token and placing it on the board takes no time. The rest of the game is, why did they take that one? Mm-hmm. Why did they put it there? Why didn't they put it there? And again, it's also cool that we could be guessing anybody's cards at the time. And if we're correct on a card, we can continue guessing if we want to. But if we ever guess and we're incorrect, she's going to move double her speed. And I don't know if we mentioned this. We might have. I've lost track of it. But you win by covering up the by planting all the rose bushes. Yes. Yep. So this is one of those that for me, I will want to have on my shelf. Not only just, I don't know how well it's going to play with two. It's definitely a good four player, three player game. It'd be interesting for me to get it out for Don, but I will, this is one that I would look at putting the money on the deluxe if it's in my budget range, just because it is a solid game. It's a game that I think I would even pass down. Say here, Rebecca, take this, you know, as whenever she decides to have a family that this is one of those, don't go by that mastermind. Play this instead. (laughs) Here's the thing. I love deduction games. I love logic games. I talked about the key earlier from Hobbit. It was one of our ad spots. I loved that game. I love the game in Search of Planet X. What's cool about this is co-op. A lot of people may be not like logic or deduction games because they feel like everybody's ahead of me. They're figuring out stuff before I am. Co-op, baby. You're all working together for the same goal, which makes this even better. Paint the roses. Ah! So good. Go look for it on Kickstarter in October. With that, we're not going to say any more other than keep rolling dice and taking names. Thanks for listening, everybody. If you enjoy our episodes, please share them on social media such as Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and you can tag us at Dyson Names on Instagram and Twitter. Come join our Discord channel. We have lots of great discussions, and for every contest that we run, a member of our channel automatically gets entered. Hey, y'all. That's right. It's time for another episode of Rolling Dice and Taking Games. I messed up. I said rolling dice and taking games. (laughs) You just need to keep your applause to yourself. (laughs) Head over to miniaturemarket.com for those gaming needs, be it board games, RPG games, be dice, be box inserts from folded space, be card sleeves be anything that you need to make your gaming experience that much more special expansions sign up for that newsletter because you will always know when those sales are getting ready to hit over there matter of fact just recently i jumped all over the latest sale and i picked up 5211 the azul edition great card game love that game so be paying attention to that you know that they're gonna have something big at thanksgiving and you cannot beat that shipping. Recently, a friend of ours ordered a what, game, uh, miniature market game bag, and it said like five to seven days shipping. Got in like three days. Unreal. Standard shipping for $5.99. Or do like a lot of people I know, build that order up so you can get that free shipping because there's always something that you're like, you know, I should have ordered that. Or, oh, when's that expansion going to hit? Get that ready to go. Be sure to sign up for the notifications because that's all there. And of course, 
make that account so you can benefit from the rewards. And as a reminder, Miniature Market is the proud sponsor of the Marty and Tony Make Mistakes and Pay You $5. So be sure to check it out mm -hmm, over at miniaturemarket.com. Thank you.